Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Where Does Your Journey Stem From, hosted by myself, Dr. Karina Minardi. Today, we have such a special episode for you. I am just ecstatic at the opportunity to talk through their pivots in their career post-PhD and just have a conversation with her. Um, so let's all welcome to the stage, Valerie. Hey, Valerie, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to have you. Um, so Valerie joined Microsoft three and a half years ago and is now the Director of Corporate Business Development, um, leading strategic partnerships in healthcare and life sciences. Valerie started her career as a researcher in the U.S. after obtaining a Ph.D. in biological and biomedical sciences from the University of Bordeaux. Then for the last 15 plus years, Valerie held different positions structuring and negotiating deals with enterprises, startups, U.S. government, etc., at Intellectual Ventures, Vices, and the University of Washington. I personally have had the tremendous opportunity to work with Valerie in a previous life, and she is as funny as she is as smart. It was a pleasure working with her. I learned so much, and I'm so grateful for her to spend some time with us today on this podcast. So obviously, Valerie, again, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to start off with um, a little bit about telling us and our listeners a little bit more about yourself other than you currently work at Microsoft. Oh, very open-ended question then. Um, well, I love deals. That's what I do my, I, I mean, it's related to my work, obviously, but um, that's what I'm doing in my job right now is building a strategy partnership and it's exhilarating. The idea, the concept of starting with an idea uh, coming from anywhere at Microsoft currently or in, in any other job from any leads you can imagine, somebody coming to you and saying, I have a great idea, we should work together, figure it out. And then weeks of conversations, days if you're lucky, months if you're not, uh, later, uh, you have an agreement and the teams can start working together and actually either co-develop something together or deploy it on the market. So this is extremely rewarding and uh, I, I really love to do this. Otherwise, about myself, uh, I've been in the U.S. for 23 years now. Uh, before that, I was in France. And uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to go back. But my, my family is here now. So obviously, I have ties that, um, that prevent me from going back now. But maybe later, who knows? So, you, you know, you talked a little bit about corporate business development, but you started off as a PhD. And I think that's one of the biggest pivots I've at least um, experienced, not only in my professional career, but um, I think in, in general from my experience. So can you talk to us a little bit about the overlap and or maybe maybe a paint a picture of a Venn diagram of, you know, what do you have to learn and adapt versus what was really easy for you to learn and adapt from STEM? Yes, um, I think that, and I think about that all the time, um, what what is it that is important for, or was important for me to learn or skills to have in order to be good, hopefully I am good, but be uh, effective in my work. And I think it is, one part is having been a researcher allows you to realize that you don't need to be 
super deep in everything in order to start thinking big picture. And so that's you have the self-confidence required to realize that you'll get it. Whatever it is, you'll get it. So it can be a deal in manufacturing or sustainability or financial services or any field that is not related to your field of uh, training because of the training you've had, the high level and very deep training you've had allows you to have the self-confidence needed to, to, to go forward with the deal without really understanding at first what it is about. You know that you'll get it. So I think that's the that's the most important skill that a researcher um, background gives you that at least I find super useful in my career. So how did you foster that sort of skill set then during your PhD um, through all of your different experiences and or when you transitioned over to actually being a researcher here in the U.S.? Well, I didn't during my PhD. I, 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 I had no idea I was going to do what I'm doing now. If somebody had told me you're going to end up at Microsoft doing business development while I was doing my PhD, I would have told them, told them that they're cra- they were crazy. So, and in fact, when I was doing my PhD, as everybody doing a PhD, you go extremely deep. So you're, you know, one of the 15 experts in the world in your field, basically. And you can talk about all small details uh, about the protein, the protein or the small enzyme that you're studying. So I didn't know I was going to be able to do this. So I, what I can say is that I've always been a curious person. So I think I'm interested in a lot of things and I don't go, um, I, I'm not obsessing about a specific field. I would never say we talk about it with my husband all the time that I, I can say that I don't have a passion and he does. He is super passionate about this field. And I don't think I, I would say that I'm, I have a passion in the same sense that he, that he hears it, meaning I can do something else. I am interested in everything. And so I think that may be more my personality that allowed me to, um, to explore rather than my training. But the training, again, as I said, gives you the self-confidence required to get there though. But so after my PhD and my postdoc, I, didn't know if I was going to continue doing research. I explored it. I maybe during six months, I I found or I interviewed several with several uh, lab directors to explore a new postdoc uh, after my first one because I moved cities. And then I decided this is not what I want to do. I don't want to go deep again on another topic. And um, this is not fulfilling enough for me. Uh, I need, because I'm a curious person, I need to, I need to be involved in many different things and not just one. And so, and also I need to work as a team, uh, in a team and, uh, and research is very often not that. You're very often by yourself in your lab and in your cell culture environment. And, and so this, this was not satisfying enough. So I worked in, at the University of Washington at first. And that's when I learned everything. I know the licensing. I stayed there for eight years and uh, about licensing and BD. And uh, that's when I realized that I, I can get myself heard by these uh, 30-year-old career professors who are uh, sometimes very arrogant, sometimes very, very self-confident. And you do have to tell them that their baby is ugly sometimes and that even though they published a great paper in nature does that mean that it's going to be a 
patent or that anybody will want to commercialize this as a product. So I, I realized that, again, the skills that I gained allowed me to be able to articulate this in a scientifically rational way that was acceptable most of the time to them. I really like that because, um, you know, a lot of what we're doing at STEM from in particular is the focus on personality and knowing yourself as a as a person and, and the environments by which you want to be um, you, you want to be successful and you are successful in. Um, I think it's so funny that you mentioned teen because um, I was very much the same way in that I experienced a laboratory um, and it was so insular and so siloed um, and so individualized that um, it, it was really a, a personal struggle for me in particular because I liked people, I liked teams, I liked working with others. And I just didn't find that to be in the laboratory and I quickly figured out this is not for me, but what could I also do? Um, and so you actually, the pivot totally makes sense in the fact that you focus on the science, then did science focusing on licensing, patenting, the, the BD sort of focus and then jumped into BD. Is that yes. a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. And you can satisfy your interest and your for research and science when you do BD, depending on where you do it, of course. But because um, even though you don't, you need to know how to stay high level, you can, you can have the luxury to go deeper if you want to, especially when you get um, farther further into the negotiation and you have to interact with technical teams and help them figure out project plans and scope of work uh, for the collaboration to take place, et cetera. So you have the opportunity to learn as much as you can. And so that's also what I love in this job is that not only I love licensing, negotiating and building deals, but also I'm learning all the time. I'm learning about new fields, new science, new technology. I see new scientists that have different ways of explaining their passion and it's a uh, it's very satisfying for an extroverted person on top of it well and i could only imagine that when you're like what you were saying about the depth piece when you know when you're looking at a deal and negotiating out the deal you're going to have to ask questions and those questions are going to have to be based off of analytically validated facts um and you know, it's so funny because I think it's so it's so apropos for a scientist to be able to do that, because um, those are exactly the skills that are, you know, you're trained to do when you're thinking about a science career or a STEM career in general. I totally agree. And I say that to my kids all the time is that in the end, what matters in life, in my opinion, is your ability to communicate with people at different levels. So either um, older, younger more experienced, more junior, uh, be able to look at them in the eyes when you talk, you know, and be able to ask the right questions or ask questions, not assume that whatever somebody's telling you is the answer, but go deeper and ask questions to keeping your goal in mind. What is it that you want to accomplish in order to, uh, in order to get your deal or whatever you're trying to do moving and ask questions until you have the right answer. And that's a, that's something that I think I'm forcing my kids to develop uh, is to not accept something as an answer without pushing further. 
And that's something that the P, I mean, research as a research carrier allows you to do. I totally agree with you. So if you were to think about sort of your background pre-PhD, what was the driving force to actually go into and become one of those 15 experts in a singular like subject matter expert field? Um, tell, tell me a little bit about that. So, well, it might be a little, it might be an answer a little different than a lot, what a lot of other people would say, because I hear a lot of people say that they have uh, career plans early on in life, or they had, they know what they want to be in five years. Or for me, it's never been that case, really. Uh, I have, I think, fallen in love with biology when I was 17. I had a high school teacher who was amazingly interesting, even though she was not very nice um, at all. She was kind of humiliating uh, all the kids in her class, but that's okay because the way she was telling stories was super interesting. And so I loved biology from that day about DNA, about antibodies and immunology. And so I decided to go into um, the equivalent of 12th grade. I was in France, so the equivalent of 12th grade specialized in biology. And I loved it. And after that, I had several choices. I could go in math, physics, or more biology. And I went in biology because I really enjoyed doing biology. So I started a bachelor's degree. And then at the end, I was like, okay, what am I doing next? I still love biology. Let's continue. So I did a, a PhD. And, um, and I really liked it too. Although there were some moments that were kind of, I was kind of desperate. But <laughs> And um, so that's that's how I got into it. Really, it's not because I had a plan or I wanted to be a researcher or scientist or somebody that I knew made me dream. It was more I was interested in a topic, and I couldn't I I couldn't think of anything else but continuing on that topic. So it was very opportunistic, if you will. No, and that's totally fair. Um, we've had guests on who were teachers before, and then they really just wanted to go back to school. Um, we had another guest on who was a consultant, and she's, she always wanted to get a PhD because she always wanted to study and, and become an expert. And she just never, it was never the right time in her life. And it finally was when, she, um, you know, after decades, I think, um, and her kids were teenagers. And so she's now doing it, um, which is just, I don't know, I could not do the PhD at 40 years old. Um, yeah. I barely got through at 20. Um, and, um, you know, it's funny because my own reason, frankly, I don't know if I ever told you this, but my own reason was because I I graduated in the midst of the 08 recession and um, there was there was nothing. There were no jobs. There were there was really nothing. And I wanted to make something of myself. And it was just kind of uh, fairly similar to, to you in that it was opportunistic. Um, go and learn for five years, hide out and then hope for the best afterwards. Um, so yeah, what, how, oh, go ahead. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, that's, that was really why. Um, so how is the educational structure in France? How do you juxtapose it to the U S one? I mean, you've obviously, you, you got a PhD in France and then you came and you worked for the university of Washington. So you, I think you've experienced kind of both sides of the higher educational system. So I'm curious from your perspective. Yeah, so um, I wish I had done a PhD in the U.S. so I could actually compare. Uh, but I, what I could what I could tell from the postdocs and the PhDs I was working with when I was at UW is that 
it seems to me that actually research in the US is much more collaborative than it was in France. Um, and it seems to be that, especially if you're in a big lab, but maybe if you're in a small lab, it's a little different. So I feel like maybe I would have liked it better uh, if I, I mean, I, I liked it though, don't take me wrong, but maybe I would have continued on that path uh, if I had done my PhD in the US. Uh, I feel in, in France, there were moments where I was not supported. I felt like I was by myself, really. And, and it's okay for some people. For, for me, as, as I said before, I like to be in a stimulating, emulating environment. And so that's the part I think differs quite a bit in the US. There are many opportunities to um, interact with a group of other students, different labs. Also, the, the main difference is that in France, you, you don't have to follow a curriculum when you do a PhD, you're just in lab. So as a result, you're very isolated in, for, from, the, from the other students. So maybe that's why. And that's the main difference is that here you do have to follow a curriculum, at least, at least in, I, I think the first years, maybe not, not the years after. But so, yeah, that was... Uh, that was unfortunate. There were other issues. There were significant dysfunctionment in the lab I, I did my PhD in that I don't know if they have would have been different in if 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 it had been in the US, maybe now they would be in a bigger universities because it was it, it were there were HR typical dysfunctionment. So I'm sure that now in bigger universities they would have been spotted and solved, but when I did my PhD not. Um so, yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting because I think a lot of people, um, they don't either stick with it or they leave, not because of the science or because of the research area, but usually commonly because of the environment. Um, yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate because it really it creates a distaste for you. Um, and that's also one, one of the reasons why I didn't stick around with research. I couldn't stand the environment. Um, yeah, just, that's right. Yeah. Well, we always used to joke with my um, my friends whether <laughs> whether you have to be kind of crazy to do this job or this job makes you crazy. And we're not talking about ourselves; we're talking about the you know lab directors and PIs uh, because you become. I mean, many there's an abnormal proportion of people who are extremely arrogant and uh, difficult to work with. So were they like this in the first place or <laughs> did, and, and they chose that field uh, or, you know, did they become that way? Not sure. <laughs> yeah. And so they're, and it's almost like a weeding mechanism if you actually think about it. Um, it's kind of funny because the, the crazy ones stay and the non-crazy ones actually leave. And so it just creates this sort of environment of craziness. Um, yeah. Now that I think about it. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so what? You know, transitioning over from, you know, you have a juxtaposition of higher education, which I'm, I'm, I really like delving into, but then also you've spent, you've worked for a huge university, you've worked for startups. Now you work for one of the largest organizations, I think, on the planet. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience in each one of those, the pros, cons, what you loved, what you absolutely hated or hate. Um, Give us Valerie's perspective on the world. Okay. So at University of Washington, I loved it. It was, it was really 
an amazing experience. I stayed there for eight years. The reason I left is because I felt like I was becoming an expert. Maybe it was arrogant of me, but I felt like I was not learning enough on a daily basis anymore. And um, so I, need, I needed to be more challenged, uh, have more impact. That's why I left. But what I liked about this is, so my job consisted into meeting with inventors that were, who were uh, arising out of the School of Medicine mostly, although other schools could, but mostly something biology related. So it could be, it could have been computer science and digital biology, but uh, it was m most of the time School of Medicine or uh, engineering, uh, mechanical, electrical, et cetera. And um, helping them evaluate their inventions, interacting with the patent office, I mean, the pat our patent experts internally, and then the patent office to um, move forward with patent applications, uh, and negotiating with industry, so either pharma or investors or their own startups uh, licenses to these applications. And in some cases, helping investigators start their own companies and building teams around them. Uh, so identifying, okay, this technology is really, let's say, a drug target. Um, Drug targets are increasingly increasingly difficult to patent. Uh, in fact, not, no longer possible now. So you have to demonstrate that you can in, inhibit, inhibit these drug targets with different types of inhibitor in order to get the claims on inhibitors and not on the drug target. So we would help them figure out what type of project plan they need to put in place, how to get the funding to get there, um, get um, word from industry that if they were getting this validation and milestones accomplished, it would be interesting for that from them to either license or invest in further development, things like that. So what was fascinating is interacting with the investigators, uh, the inventors, and discovering, learning all the time about new technology. So I was there when CRISPR came out. I was there when induced pluripotent stem cells came out. And I learned about these new revolutionary technologies for which Nobel Prizes were awarded, you know, down the line. And I, I'm no longer close to this, obviously. So now I have to read like everybody else, but I would hear it from people doing the experiments. So I love this. And I loved also learning about IP. So IP licensing, IP framework, uh, IP regulations. I, I, for some reason, I love that field. In fact, I even thought that I should go into law school. I considered it for a minute, but after a PhD, you know, I really needed to get some salary. So I decided not to. And so what I didn't like at university was maybe, of course, as everybody can imagine, it's bureaucratic and it's slow and it's badly, not, not badly paid, but it's, the salary is not very big and you can make more money elsewhere, let's say. And, um, and it's, um, you know, there are many things that you would like to move on faster, but you have to abide by the rule, especially on top of that, it's a public university. So there are many things that you cannot do as a public university. So that's the part I think that, and it's difficult to evolve, I think, within the university. The career path is not very clear. You know, you can stay in your lane, but you know, five years from now, where, where, where are you going to be unclear? So it's unlikely that if you're ambitious, that you can see clearly where you can go. So that's, I think, why I left. Then I went to, um, you asked me about the startup experience. So startup experience, 
you have an impact in everything you do. So you have the potential because it's small, it wants to move quickly, it's nimble. Um, you can work on something for a day and have an impact, make really a difference in the future of the company, uh, or work something in a month and have an impact. You can work on big things, small things, and you can work on so many different things. So I was in charge of the relationship with Department of Defense because I wrote and obtained a contract for from DOD to develop part of our technology. So I was managing also the relationship with DOD for moving this technology forward with for their um, own objectives. I was in charge of the IP portfolio and strategy. I was in charge of evaluating um, at, at external technologies for in licensing within our portfolio for um, improving our own products. Um, I was, uh, there were many things. Oh, and as we evolved, of course, the company, many other problems came through. So for example, at some point, uh, we wanted to find a, the, the best paint formulation. And we, so my, my startup was developing um, football helmets, weird, <laughs> interestingly, that had a technology embedded in them uh, that would reduce acceleration upon impact. So with, of course, the goal of decreasing traumatic brain injury, of, but not something we could ever say or claim because it was not a medical device. But so paint, because of the, the nature of the technology that was embedded in the helmet, uh, we had to come up with a new paint formulation and it was super challenging. So I, at some point I was involved in identifying and trying to source experts to help us come up with the right paint formulation that would withstand different temperatures and shocks and cetera. I loved it. I made very, I made some of my best friends there. We had fun on a daily basis. We were laughing all the time. It was exceptional. Uh, however, it was a risky, it's risky, you know, and the startup didn't make it. So uh, that's why I left is because I basically, uh, actually the startup didn't make it. A few people stayed in because we had to find a, a PE firm to uh, buy the assets and, and find a new buyer, which, um, which I, and I stayed, but it was a very different company then. And so that's when I went to Microsoft. So I left because the company has changed and it was not the same thing. I would have probably stayed for many, many years if the company had continued to grow because of all the fun uh, and, and the learning. Intellectually, this particular company, I think, was not as stimulating as University of Washington or Microsoft. Uh, but the fun, uh, really, that I had and, and all the different projects I was involved in compensated for all that. And Microsoft, I loved it. I love it. I love this job with University of Washington. I think it's my favorite job. And um, same thing I'm learning on a daily basis, especially now in the age of generative AI. I learn I learn so much about AI. I mean, I'm still a baby when it relates to AI, but I learned so much about AI compared to what I knew before. And um, and even though my impact is probably smaller than the impact I could have in the startup because it's a, it's a bigger scale, I'm working on very high visibility and exposure projects. So I feel like I'm really making a difference. So. Very cool. Well, you had a couple of roles too in Microsoft because when we interacted, you were essentially the partnership 
um, development. Yes, that's right. I was in development, so I managed um, a portfolio of um, several big or small, actually, because the one we were working on was more of a startup, I mean, a younger company, but also bigger um, bigger companies, multi-billion dollar companies. And so when these companies have software solutions that they want to, that are uh, cloud-based, that they want to um, sell to their customers, Microsoft support these companies to go to market together. And so I was managing that aspect of uh, these partnerships going to market together and helping them grow their revenue and expand globally. And so, and always in healthcare and life science. So that that was extremely rewarding too, because I was working with, again, several different companies working in different space. Some of them were uh, selling to healthcare providers. Some of them were selling to insurance or life or pharma, many different companies for different use cases. And so I learned a lot, not only about technology, but also about markets that they were targeting and also about these companies in general. So it satisfied many things that I like to do because I had to interact with a lot of people, many different personalities, be always, you know, kind of overwhelmed with different projects. Uh, yeah, it was great. And, uh, but I have to say my heart lies in BD and that's, when I left research, that's what I did. And I, I wonder if I ever will leave BD. I really, really like it. But you never know. I say that my husband says that I say that in every job I have. <laughs> so I, yeah, and you have said that before. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the reason that I mentioned the the pivoting throughout Microsoft is that I think as you mentioned for your role with the University of Washington, there was no evolution or very little evolution. However, in Microsoft, you because it's so big, you can maneuver through the organization um, yes. and really experience different aspects of it. Yes, and also I feel like uh, I feel like it's it's such a great company to have on your resume. You know, I I don't anticipate. And I'm I'm really honest about this. I don't anticipate leaving Microsoft because I really like this company. I like there are so many things I like about it. But but I know that if one day forgot I have to go, um, I I will be better off having had worked at Microsoft because because of the the reputation, but also because of all the things that I've learned uh, being in tech that I wouldn't have been able. And so that opens up my world to many other tech companies if I wanted to. And the network that it provides, not only internally, but also externally, I think. Yes. Um, so I know we're nearing the end of our time, and I want to ask um, one last question that I usually ask um, most of our guests. But if you, know, if you were to um, think back 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, what would be your words of wisdom for young Valerie back then, um, knowing what you know now specifically in STEM? Mm. I think my word of wisdom would have nothing to do with what I know in STEM, really. Is that it would be more, and I say that to myself on a, not daily, but it would be more, um, hmm, how can I say this? Uh, be patient. That's the word. Be more patient, I think. 
And so I'm always, uh, because of what I said, my personality is I'm interested in so many different things. I want to learn. I want to be involved in this and this and this. Sometimes, um, sometimes I try to do too much or I try to, I expect too much out of, oh, it's not, it's not the right way to put it because it, it sounds arrogant. It's not that I expect too much out of people. It's, it's a, it's actually a problem for me. It's something I want to change in my personality is that I want to be more patient and, and reflect more. Uh, on everything I learn, on everything I, uh, I I see for the future. And so that's something that very often, and I know that I, I grew uh, in wisdom. And so, but that's like, I would like to tell myself uh, or to try to um, convince myself if I was, uh, if I was seeing myself younger is slow down and uh, take your time basically. I think that's, we've had a couple of guests actually say something very similar to that. Um, so I, I appreciate that. And it's also the kind of um, enjoy the journey, you know, um, yeah. you're on. So um, with that, Valerie, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us today um, in where does your journey stem from and, and discussing not only your career path, but also your sort of your origination with it from STEM. Um, and with everyone else on the, the podcast and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. See you later. Bye. Thank you very much.